Good morning, everybody. Wait with me so that I can see you over the way. That's fantastic. Do you want to sign much better than when I left? God bless you guys. That was incredible. Wow. Either I miss live music or I don't know. You guys just have such an amazing view. My name is Donovan. I'm a son in law. It's been an interesting week for the family. Um, and we asked you to continue to pray with the family. This is the strongest family I've ever seen in my life. It's insane. But I know it's because they follow the Lord wholeheartedly, that they, their foundation is His promises. And it has been such a privilege uh, for Jessica and myself to be here with the family in this time. And it's really been a week of celebration. It's been ups and downs, tears and laughter and, and all sorts. And yesterday we had a good time together. Um, we had the funeral for Grandpa Alec yesterday. Uh, and I just, I'm going to be ministering on bold faith this morning, but there's nothing bolder to me than a wife of 55 years married sitting here this morning to come and just worship with you guys. So, um, we're in Prague, and I wanted to just give you a quick history. I'm not going to get all soppy this morning. I'm going to get into the Word of God if you want to turn to me. With me so long to 1 Kings 18, uh, we're going to be preaching about Elijah in a moment, and I'm going to rock you out of your seats, I'm hoping, <laughs> Old Testament style. Um, Jesse and I have had a crazy year as well, and uh, we uh, took over leading a small church called Destiny Prague, we're part of a bigger network called Destiny Ministries that are venture out of the UK, and it's been quite a, a road for us. Um, we unqualified, unequipped, said yes, Father, we're positioned, and we will do what you've called us to do. So we felt called, and then when 1 September kicked in and we were officially lead pastors, we looked at each other and said, okay, what do we do now? <laughs> and we realized very quickly that our time spent here in this church, in this body, with these people, yeah. were the very things that equipped us yeah. to do what we're doing now, even though we are still grace gracefully unqualified to do what we're doing. But let me tell you something, in a country that is 83%, I think is a statistic, but a professed agnostic, which means I do not believe in anything, and don't force anything upon me, from the remaining 17%, I would say 16% is Catholic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if you've ever been into the Catholic Church in Europe, it's a tourism venue. It's not a church. I, it is a church. There are good people. But it is, it is owned by government. It's open to tourists. You can have a woman crying in the back queue, uh, giving her life to Jesus, and people taking photographs behind her. That's, that's church. What we have here is something very, very special. Let me tell you something. This is powerful. And I'm going to repent to you guys this morning and say, I was super complacent. This is comfortable. It's amazing. Your worship's fantastic. You've got a Sunday school in the back. You've got enough space. Our, our church now is just amazing. From that fan to the baptismal pool. It's a garage. Yeah, it's basically a double garage. And um, we've got, we can put 25 people coming into the room. With Corona, we can put six. Some of my church has actually been a bit of a blessing for us. A couple of rent being so expensive. Um, but I, I want to say to you that you guys are cultivating something here in Oasis. I'm talking specifically Oasis, which I'm realizing now, three and a half years after leaving, 
There was enough in me and my wife to be able to plant in an agnostic country. And trust and rely on the foundational teachings that I've received here to walk us into that season, which feels like desert. <laughs> it's like, you know, you're on the tram, you guy manifesting in the corner, and the Holy Spirit's tugging at you, maybe she got her hands, and you're like, oh, maybe it's just, you know, just terrible. Um, it's, it's pretty rough, right? Um, but I wanted, to, I wanted to drop that with you because I, I felt during worship, like I felt this, this word export on my heart. And I don't know if that's for somebody, but I felt I feel like there's something here that we have that the world we need to export to the world. Whether it's the small groups, we have technology now to the online communities, we've got people plugging in from the UK, from America, from the Netherlands, to us in Prague. Um, we, we have something in this body. Anyway, I want to leave that with you. So Jessica and I have had a, a, a wild year. We've uh, had the ability to pray for some of the Catholic leaders. Some dude I've never met, Father, goodness knows, probably the first Catholic priest I've ever been in my life. Says, okay, you Pentecostals can come over. I've got some problem with my leg, I've got no circulation. Cool, so we go in there, we spend an hour reciting why Pentecostals and Catholics can be together. Super religious, and then um, we start praying for the guy. I just grab his leg and just start praying over him. As we pray, he feels the circulation coming back into his leg and he stands up and the swelling is going down. We have people in worship. We have a Catholic priest, again, just came and met us because we had worship in the synagogue. And uh, he came and met with us and he says, I want to just see what you're doing. So he invites him to come to an opening, Satan for us. And he said that he felt called to North Korea. I don't know, I met the guy once, I got a copy, he pulls in and he starts, he just ministers and he says, one way, one church, one kingdom. And he says he's called to North Korea, that was earlier this year. And we just happened to have two North Koreans. That's day. And when we followed up where they came from, they were in some hotel in Prague, and someone at a reception just said, you need to go worship with these people. We don't know who it is, we still think it's angels. These two North Koreans come, they pray in North Korean over this Catholic priest. They can't speak English, they can't worship with us, but they just came to be in the presence of God. And I believe with all my heart to come and ordain him to be released into North Korea. We've had people just in the middle of worship, just next healed, legs healed, arms healed. We had people that contended, even just my stepping into leadership in church. And last week, they phoned and asked for forgiveness. God has been doing weird things <laughs> with the most unqualified people. But it's because when we get this book into our hearts, and we really seem to do what He does, which is build His church, you know, build His church, He does amazing things. So I'm very excited to be here. I'm always humbled to be able to preach, and I'm always super nervous preaching in front of the Shawns and the Gettys and the Kurds of the world, because these are my mentors and the people I love. Um, but it's just such an honor to be here, and I'm overwhelmed by your worship and your reverence, and uh, we've got 40 people on the live stream, so hello to you guys as well. Um, but we're going to get into the Word of God, 1 Kings 18. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that Hebrews says that your Word is alive and active. Father, we thank you that your Word is as sharp as a double-edged sword this morning. We thank you that as we speak it, um, it is faithful to accomplish that which it has set out to do this morning, Father. And I ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, which is worked through me, to be able to deliver a message that will fall on receptive hearts and minds this morning. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that we are victorious because of what happened on the cross. And we just glorify you this morning. In your wonderful name, amen. amen. 
So we built this church of about 41 people on our little Excel spreadsheet. It's 44. 44 people today. <laughs> we have 10 people on our podcast, so let's push that up to 54. <laughs> um, but really we felt in the Czech nation, because they're an ex-communist country, I'm giving you some background to what I'm going to preach on today, is, and if we're tuned in today, I, I hope this is factual for them, but we feel like the practical tools that we've learned as a predominantly Christian society, they don't have. We gave a testimony on tithing the one day, and this 45-year-old woman ran from the back and said, you've got to come preach to my church 40 kilometers south of the clock. We've never heard someone preach on finances like this. And I was just testifying about God's goodness and tithing in my lives and our finances. And there are basic principles that they don't have. And we're finding a lot of young people now, 23, 25, are finding Jesus Christ for the first time. They go home to Slovakia or to the little towns of the Czech Republic, and their parents said, oh, 50 years plus, we told them, oh, don't waste your time on religion. This religion was led out of, out of the, the communist regime. And we find that people are asking the basic questions. Um, so we had a series that we started in the month of October, where we called it Church in the Wild. And really it was designed as a series to equip and to empower people. We have on our hearts the desire to see people find their identity in Christ Jesus. And what that simply means is, who am I in Christ Jesus? Because when you know who you are and what He says about you, what the Word professes and declares over your life, you can operate from a place of victory. You can operate from a place of wholeness, fullness, power, confidence, and I am personally sick and tired of Christians walking around defeated. And we don't want that for our little community in the Czech Republic. So this message is called Bold Faith, and it's part of a series called Church in the Wild. So when it's crazy out there, when you move to online, when you're working remotely, when you can't meet, when you can't interact, when you're stuck in a Zoom window, man, I hate that Zoom window. How do you do church? How do you do life? And what are the tools um, to do what we do? And this was the first message that I preached in that series. And I'm going to preach it there again. Curtis asked me to, to minister on this. And I'm going to start with the craziest, wildest man I know from the Old Testament, and that's Elijah in 1 Kings 18. And this message is entitled, Bold Faith. So what we see in Elijah in 1 Kings is he basically springs up out of nowhere in chapter 17. And we know we preached on Elijah a while back, but I'm going to recap on this. So chapter 17, Elijah springs up. He meets Ahab, who he has a love-hate relationship with Ahab and Jezebel. And he says to Ahab, you know what? There's not going to be any rain or tune for the next so often, two to three years, until I say so. Now you need to realize some context here. Ahab and Jezebel were Baal worshippers. They kept the prophets of Baal and Asherah around them at the time, and the, the god of Baal was often referred to as the storm god. Now, how many of you know that? Often referred to as the storm god. So when Elijah approaches Ahab in chapter 17 and says, no rain or dew, he's taking a direct stab at their theology. Jezebel had torn down all the altars that the Israelites had put up, as they mentioned, um, through the nations of the time. And um, basically, Elijah tackles their theology, their theology by taking away the rain and the dew. And what happens is God basically shifts him east to a brook. There's a bit of a stream there so you can have some water. And God moves him around a little bit. That, uh, that stream dried up after about a year and a half to two years. God moves him to a widow's house. 
who's going to another story, have a bit of flour in a will, she was going to make a loaf of bread for her and her son and then die. Right? It's a very morbid story. But Elijah says, of course, you know, Elijah, make me some bread first, you know, before you feed yourself and die, make me a loaf of bread first. The type of guy that he was. And uh, we know that the oil and flour just continued to go and they were fed and looked after by the Lord. Later, her son dies and Elijah does this planking thing over her son and brings him back to life. Crazy, crazy guy, right? And this is over about a two and a half year, three year period. And God says, now I need you to go stay here. Now, if you're going to walk up to a king, tackle his theology, and actually probably mostly the theology of his wife, which is probably the worst, take away the very one thing that they hold true, I'm sure you're going to have a target on your back. You're going to be hunted. And he was hunted. We know that. And God calls him back and he says, you need to go see Ahab. And we know what happens, and I'm getting up to chapter 18, but the backstory is important, is he meets with Obadiah. And Obadiah was like the right hand to Ahab at the time. And he says to Obadiah, I want to meet with Ahab. And Obadiah basically says, if Ahab even knows that I'm talking to you, he'll kill me. He's been looking for you for so long. And this is my first point on bold faith. If anyone is taking notes, if there are any Christians in the house, <laughs> the first thing you need to know, bold faith. And guys, when we speak about bold faith, when we speak about faith, at least our community in that we're not talking faith in terms of what you believe. Because we call to much more than that. For me, faith is a verb. It is an action. It is a doing word. So when we talk about bold faith, we talk about operating from a place of being empowered and working outside of your belief system, right? The manifestation of what you believe. Bold faith knows who it serves. Yeah. 1 Kings 18, I'm going to read from verse 15. After meeting with Obadiah, Obadiah says, oh, Ahab will certainly kill me for talking to you. Elijah says this, As the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. Bold faith knows who it serves. Ahab was about to walk into the lion's den. He was about to walk into the potential slaughtering pit of the time. And he knew who he serves. Every time Ahab calls on the Lord Almighty, he says, The Lord Almighty, whom I serve. Bold faith knows who it serves. We need to know who we serve. I think we often forget this as Christians. Romans 8.17 says that we are co-heads with Christ Jesus. Do we live like co-heads? Do we live like the righteousness of Christ? Like the apple of his eye? Like the bride that he came for? Do we operate from that place of confidence? Do we know who we serve? It's Christ Jesus. I want you, I want, I want us to get this. I, I have, this hit me like a ton of bricks this year. Because I just coasted as a Christian. And I often told these guys, we used to hide behind this drum kit. Until we were forced to step out. See demons manifest. I had some kind of moment, all over my shoes get the manifesting in the church. Completely unqualified. We know who we serve. We know what's inside of us. We know the power of authority given us through Christ Jesus. Bold faith knows who it serves. Bold faith, second point, looks the enemy in the eye and challenges him. It is not scared. Bold faith is not meek and mild. I don't know what Jesus you read about, but I read about a Jesus that had no place to lie his head, rest his head, that moved from town to town, singing in the wild, 
that crack whips, rebuked his best friends, yeah. not the sort of meek and mild sort of role model we make him out to be, right? Bold faith looks the enemy in the eye and challenges him, he is not scared. In verse 19, we see that, and I'm paraphrasing this passage, basically we see Elijah walk, walk straight up to Ahab. Ahab says some things to try and frame off his game. And Elijah basically says, Summon all the people from Israel to my call. Today the Lord's going to meet with his people. And he looks Ahab in the eye, the man that would probably slaughter him if he could. And he says, Go. And I love this. Because not only does he stand confident in front of Ahab, the very man that wants to kill him, but he puts a challenge out to him. Bold faith looks the enemy in the eye. It is not scared, it does not back down. It is challenging. Do we look at our enemies in the eye and say, I know who my Jesus is? Let me see you and raise you one. Let me challenge you. You know what also blows my mind? Is he's talking to a king and he's a hated prophet. One of the last it says in this passage. And he instructs the king to do something. Have you ever thought of something more ridiculous in your life? It's like me walking up to Cyril. Just like so, you know, you're not running this, this ship wrong, you know, bringing people around and talking to them later. <laughs> it's just bizarre, it's absolutely bizarre. But we know that Ahab acts on his instructions. Come on! There's no way that you can do that in the flesh. There's no way in your physical being that you can operate in that sort of calling on your life. Paul faith knows who it serves. It does not back down. It challenges. We see in the next little passage. But bold faith is not timid. It's on a mission. We see in verse um, verse 20, verse 21, Elijah went before the people. So now what happens is there some of the people that come around, all of Israel's on Mount Carmel at the time. Verse 21, Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And I love this. When I read this passage, I almost see this as a plan A for Elijah. I see him as a way to say, I've got you all together. Ahab has brought you together. You know who I am. I told the rains to stop. And they've stopped. They haven't been there for three years. Your livestock is dying. You can't harvest any crops. There's no way you do not know who I am. And he's standing there. I am Elijah. And he says, why are you still wavering? Why are you wasting your time? It involves God worship him. But if God is Lord, worship Him. And I felt so strongly in my heart this morning, and also when I prayed uh, this morning before this word, that still in our lives we make things bigger than God. We are these people. Why are you wavering? Why do you waver about where your income comes from next? And I'm going to say this with all respect. Have we made COVID bigger than God? In our lives. I, I, I have to repent of that as well. Have I made my finances bigger than God? Have I made this church bigger than God? Why are you wavering? You know the sad part about that people group? Is they sit silent. The word of God says it says they said nothing. Mm. The word of God doesn't record anything if it wasn't for a reason. Yeah. Can you imagine all of Israel was summoned around? A man that is hunted, hated, detested. And he says to them, choose God, choose God. Mm. And they say nothing. You know what it tells me? They were fearful. 
they were terrified and they would be executed on the spot by Jezebel in their hand. And Elijah knew that. He knew that there would be fear in their hearts, but I think he wanted to prompt something in them. He wanted to stir up something in them. And if you read this chapter through, I, can, I believe with all my heart, this is the first bit of stirring that happens in their life, and they were silent. And I imagine that Elijah steps into plan B mode. He goes, okay, fine, come. Let's bring the oxen. It's not to build the altar. Bold faith is not timid. It knows what it has set out to accomplish. If you are trusting to break through in your life this morning, I want you to, I want you to push into the presence of God. Refocus your energy on Him. This year has thrown enough noise, enough distraction. We need to refocus on Him. Elijah was the only voice in and amongst what I can imagine was thousands of people. Sometimes your bold faith is going to be the only voice heard in the crowd. Yeah. Sometimes you're going to be the only one, and you're going to sound weird. You're going to sound strange. You're going to sound ridiculous. When others are saying, I have no money, you're saying, I'm more prosperous than ever before. Yeah. It's not going to sound natural. When you're grieving, but you hear with your hands lifted in worship, praising your God, it does something. There is something powerful in that moment. Because bold faith is not timid, and it's set out to accomplish something. You see, Elijah knew that even if no one responded to him that day, that in him stepping out in boldness, exercising faith, um, exercising upon the calling and the instruction that God had given him, that something was going to change that day. And sometimes I think we're too nervous to be that voice. We're taught to just be quiet in our service. The church is quiet. But the word of God says, ask in accordance to his will and it will be done. Yeah. Do we have an act from a place of that? Bold faith is confident. So we see what happens in this next chapter, or this next piece rather, is that he calls the prophets. And I love it because there's 450 bold prophets, there's 400 prophets of Asherah, and it's Elijah. Numero unero, on his own, 950, 850 people next to him. Right, and he says, you know, you go first dibs, choose whatever ox you want, build your altar. And he kind of leaves them to do their rituals. And, um, and I love this. He says, you call on your God. You call on your God. Listen to how he says this. You call on your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. You know what he says? You do you, I'm going to do me. Yeah. And I think often, I think often, this is where we need to be as Christians. You know what? You do you. I know what I believe. I know what the Word of God says about me. I know the power and authority that I have through Christ Jesus. If you don't believe that thing, man, you're probably on your own journey. You're going to work that thing out if you're traveling on your own. But I think so often we start to compromise what we believe for the sake of making everyone feel included. You do you, and I will call on the name of the Lord. Let me tell you something. This wasn't Elijah going, hey, I've got my name behind me. He's going to come through for me in the final hour. He says, I will call on the name of the Lord, the God that he serves. There is a reverence in his voice. He knows who he calls on. He knows when he walked into that ring that day, who was in his corner. And when he says, I will call on the name of the Lord, it wasn't just my God. It was my Lord. I have given him lordship. Over my life. And this is a word that's transformed my thinking this year. So often he can be my God, but is he my Lord? Yes. Because you know what, what comes with 
Is he Lord over my family? Is he Lord over my finances? Is he Lord over what I believe, what I'm thinking, what he's stirring in my heart? Do I give it to him as my Lord? Or is he just my God? Is he just my God? And I think a lot of us need to move from he's my God to he's my Lord. What he says goes. I don't act without his instruction. We miss this. You guys do you, I'll do you. I've got the Lord of Israel with me. That's crazy, again to me. Not only that you look at the king that freaking hates you in the face and ask him to um, gather all of his people, but he is dictating the rules of the day to 850 prophets in front of Ahab and Jezebel and all their noble people. And this guy, on his face, is sitting there going, this is the way it's going to go down today. I love it. That's just how God works. And I think often we feel like it's just us on our own. I don't know what we ever thought. I mean, we sing about a lie. What did you sing, Bronwyn? I, I agree with this lie. That's been, it's, I love it. Because I feel so often like we feel on our own. And I can imagine Elijah felt like that. Against 950 prophets, let's call it the enemy, right? But man, God is big in his life, in our life. And you need to know when you accepted Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit came with a seal in your heart. And you know what the Word of God says? Where can I run? Where can I flee from him? Or from his spirit? You can't. I always feel, in a sense, a godly arrogance about what I believe. It is unfair. Where I put my feet, I have victory. I am more than a conqueror. Because when Jesus hung on the cross, he gave me the tools, he gave me the power, he gave me his Holy Spirit. Yeah. Now I'm really preaching. <laughs> okay, so Elijah says, yeah, okay guys, you do your thing. I tell you what, bring the oxen, put it on the altar, call on your God, do what you've got to do. And of course, they're doing their rituals and their thing, nothing's happening. What does he begin to do? He starts to taunt them. Well, that's not a character I've ever thought about. Okay? Who would have thought that this godly man, right, meek and mild, in the corner, waiting for God in a still voice, who starts to, in a sense, arrogantly taunt the enemy? Have you ever thought of God like that? Have you ever thought of your Christianity like that? Where you're so bold in what you believe that it's not good enough just to oppose, but he's actually taunting? It just it blew my mind when I started to think about it. You're on your own, you're poking the bear. And then you still have the audacity to taunt him. I think when I'm reading this passage going, you know, I've just seen someone, you know, wheeling in a wheelchair, coming forth for prayer. And you know, in that moment, Kurt, Sean, you guys are in that moment, you're like, I believe. You know, yes. Yeah. And I can imagine Elijah's in the same place. It's like, you know, now I'm really poking the bear in this thing, but God, you've got it, got it come through. And I was still in the sense that Elijah sets himself up for that. You know, we sing, our God will never fail. We sing it. It came out of all of our mouths this morning. Do we honestly believe what we sing? Yeah. Elijah did. I'm not sure I'm that old. Yeah. I'd like to be. But we sing it. So he begins to talk then. Where's your God? Maybe he's sleeping. <laughs> he is a God, surely. Go wake him up. And of course, they just growled up, you know, prophets, as they do. And uh, they start cutting themselves, they start dancing, and you know what? No one's amused. Yeah. And I love what happens in the next passage. 
is it says, and now it came time for the sacrifice. Yeah. Like there was a time. Elijah just let the time go. And I think you imagine that God could have turned the hearts of Israel back in which way he wanted. But I love it because Elijah waited and he let them do what they were going to do. And you know what? Old faith seeks to rebuild what the enemy attempts to destroy in your life. Yeah. I feel like when you start to exercise faith, when you start to step out of your comfort zone, you start to trust and rely on Him who is inside of you, things in your life start to be rebuilt. Yeah. Because you know what happens when you don't step out of what you believe? You just start going into an analytical time. Yeah. You start cross-referencing Old Testament and New Testament and 15, 20 years later you're still questioning things in the Word of God and you never actually see something that's power because you've never stepped out. Yeah. Really? James actually warns us about that. James says that if you read and don't practice, you're like a fool that looks at himself in the mirror and walks away and forgets his reflection. So what does Elijah do? It's time for the sacrifice. He gathers everyone around him. I love this. He gathers everyone around him, around an altar that had been torn down. Just like they had torn down all the altars that they had built over the last couple of years. That one thing that the nation of Israel held onto was torn down. And Elijah walks up and people come around him. And what happens? He starts to pick up the stones. And he starts to rebuild the altar. And you know what? You know what happens? If you just read it through and you think about how he says, Why are you unwavering? And he lets them do all their rituals and stuff and then comes back. I can imagine it's a quiet moment. It's a what is happening next moment. Yeah. I can imagine a silence amongst the crowd. I can imagine little Eli tugging at dad's pants and dad goes, something's about to happen. Yeah. And he starts to rebuild. It says a stone for every tribe. And you know what happens in that moment is the Holy Spirit starts to, starts to bring to remembrance. Who are you? And it says, your name will be Israel. I'm going to read this passage uh, from verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each tribe, descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. If there are things in your life that, that the enemy has robbed from you, things that you felt have been torn down in your life, you know what both faith does? Is it starts to rebuild yeah. and it starts to call out. You're the apple of his eye. Yeah. You're the righteousness of Christ. I place the seal on your heart. You are more than conquerors. You are whole in Christ Jesus. Your sins were removed as far as the east is from the west. As, as you sit here now, God the Father sees Jesus in you. And he rebuilds that altar and something starts to happen. And then I believe Elijah takes another step of theology, with the theology of his people, like the last blow. And he says, bring jars of water. He brings four jars of water. And he says, pour it, pour it, pour it. And it's drenched. I can imagine this is another step at the belief system of the day. Yeah. Right? Of Baal being the storm of God. Yeah. And he pours. And we know what happens next. Is Elijah, he stands to the side. And I can imagine he kind of looks up for a moment. And he says, Father, I'm going to actually just read this so that I don't misquote it. He says, Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back to them. 
hours of rituals performed by the opposition. Hours of ritual. Let the enemy exhaust himself. Let him exhaust himself. Walking in confidence and boldness. Looking up to the heavens and Elijah just says, Lord, for your glory, for their hearts, you love this nation. You're the one speaking your goodness and prosperity over this nation. You know what happens. I can imagine that God was just waiting there to just send down that fire from heaven. And it says that at the laptop of water, the sand, everything around him. You know, because God, God comes through, he doesn't do a half-hearted job, you know what I mean? And everything is basically disintegrated. And the people fall prostrate in front of him. And it says their hearts return to God. Okay, John, you know this is Old Testament, it's Elijah. We know a little bit later in the scripture that Elijah is um, opposed by Jezebel and he flees. Right? So John, you're talking about bold faith, that's fantastic. But Elijah has a moment of weakness as well, right? But this is what I love. When you're reading James, James says Elijah was just a man, like any single one of us. And even sometimes when we come out of that place of boldness, and we see healings and miracles, and our finances are great, and our marriages are fantastic, and our kids are amazing, and everything's working, the dog even loves me, he hasn't walked in a week, I can't even my neighbor's dog anymore. The enemy hits us again. And what happens? Elijah flees. And I just love, I'm paraphrasing this, this is happening over like five chapters. And he's hiding, and he looks for God, and God just says to him, Elijah, what are you doing? Come on, man. You know who I am. You know what's happened. You can't deny what's happened in the last three to four years. And you know what happens? He calls him back. And Ahab actually gets saved in chapter 21. Mm. Come on. That whole nation turns their hearts back to Jesus and the king gets saved. My last point. Coming to close. Elijah commissioned Elisha. I always got confused with this. I'm going to read one Kings and two things so that you get your story right. Elijah kind of calls Elisha, right? And we see in two kings, Elijah's about to be taken up. And him and Elisha, I can imagine taking a stroll, they hit the Jordan. You know, Elijah, this prophet, just believes God can do absolutely anything, takes up his cloak, wraps it up, strikes the water, you know, typical God story. River parts, they walk through on dry ground, the word says. He's done that once or twice, so he believe he can do it. Um, takes his boat, strikes at water's part, they cross over on dry ground. And Elijah knows, and there's other prophets at the time that were saying Elijah's about to be taken up. And this is where he leaves on this chariot of fire, you all know the story. But I love this, and I'm going to close in this, this last comment. Bold faith asks. Yeah. You have not because you ask not. The word of God says. And Elijah looks at Elisha and says, if you can have one thing from me before I go, what will it be? And you've heard Kurt say this a million times, so let me put this into context for you. Mm-hmm. Elisha says, I want a double portion of the anointing that you walk under. Are we asking God? Yeah. Are we asking Him for an anointing, for Him to walk with us, for Him to give us opportunity to minister, to be radical in our community, societies, our workplace, etc.? He says to Elijah, I want a double portion of what you're walking. I've seen it. It is crazy. It is insane. It has challenged me. It has moved me. I want double of that. And Elijah gets taken up. And you know what? Elijah looks back to the Jordan. Takes the cloak, rolls it up, strikes the wood, and the river's marked. He walks through. Come on! Are we asking? 
for the anointing this morning. We say to God, I want everything of what you have to give me this morning. Not so that I can sit here and spend 40 years in this book. So that I can be like a disciple who spent two years with Jesus. And they were bringing people to lay in Peter's shadow so he can be healed. I'm sorry if this message is hitting you straight in the eyes, but in the Czech Republic, my days are numbered. I'll be there forever. And when I leave there, I need to know that I've got 20 to 40 people that know who they are in Christ Jesus because that will change that nation. Yeah. I promise you it will change that nation. We started one, one home group this. We started in December. We started one home group in October. We'll have four home groups in January. You know, when you. Jess said to me, how are we going to do this thing? How are we going to grow a church? And we said, we're going to preach truth. And we're going to trust God to do what he does. I'm going to leave it at that. Can we close our eyes for a second? If you're sitting there this morning and you say, Father, that I've never heard this message like this before. Father, I feel that you've called, you've called me to step out of just what I believe. You call me to step out in faith, to open my mouth, to lay hands, to risk everything in my prayer life. Bubbling over with your word, that are desperate to see change 
is so pressurized that it needs to come out. Father, I pray for opportunity for those people to minister in the circles that they are. Well, I pray that you export those people to whoever you need them to be. It might be more township. It might be the general government. Father, I ask that you make us uncomfortable in our understanding of church. Because the church looks very different at the moment. I ask that you help us to become creative and innovative in how we spread the word of God. Father, we pray for a bold faith to rise up in our people. In Jesus' name, Father, we love you. Love you.